Heavenly Father, we call on your name today and fully admit that we are not foolproof. (laughs) We do lots of foolish things. And I do believe each of us want to avoid those pitfalls in life. And as hard as we may try, we cannot do it in our own. So Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh on us today? Lord, this word that um, you have birthed in my heart this week as we look at your scripture in Proverbs, uh, no one needs to hear from me. So I ask that every word spoken from my lips would be from your heart and anointed by your grace. Lord, give us ears to hear hearts to respond, and obedience to act accordingly. In your name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. There was a young preacher who was called upon to preach. And the pastor that he served under told him, I need you to preach on the topic of sex. So being a young preacher, obviously he felt the weight of that and truthfully felt a bit sheepish. But that week he was studying at home and he was writing his, his sermon on the computer and um, feeling the heaviness of that and just the awkwardness of seeing the word sex typed out through his entire message. He decided instead of typing the word sex, he would simply put a capital S. So his wife comes into the study at one point during that week and she's looking over his shoulder at the notes and she sees these capital S's throughout the entire message. And she says, what are you preaching on this weekend? And um, not wanting to have this conversation with his wife right at the moment, he lies. And he said, it's about sailing. (laughs) And so she thought that was a little odd and strange, but she said, well, maybe he's connecting like the sailing experience to the journey of the Christian faith. And so she didn't think much about it. And that weekend came and he preached on sex. However, she was sick and wasn't able to attend the service. And this is before there was online streaming. So she didn't hear the message. The following weekend, though, she comes back to church. And after one of the sermons is over, a lady in the congregation comes up to her and says, I just have to tell you, that your husband preached such a powerful, biblical, and moving sermon on a really difficult topic. And thinking that it was about sailing, the pastor's wife said, well, that's pretty amazing because he's only done it twice. There's a song from the 90s called Let's Talk About Sex, and we're going to today, or at least I am. So at the beginning of this series, when we looked at the book of Proverbs, I told you that the book of Proverbs is divided into three sections. And the beginning section, the first nine chapters, chapters one through nine, are 10 speeches from a father to his son. Now, what you may not know is that chapters five, six, and seven, and around 30% of those 10 speeches from a dad to his son are about sex. Now, it shouldn't surprise us though, if you're thinking about a dad speaking to his son on how to avoid pitfalls in life, you would think that a chunk of that is going to be about the subject of sex. And the seriousness of sexual sin is a significant theme actually throughout the entire book, the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to highlight just a few of my favorite Proverbs in regards to sex this morning before I get to our main text today. Here's what the wisdom writer writes. 
asks a couple questions. He says, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? Good questions. I love this one. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? That's written in Proverbs. And here's one of my favorites. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of the eagle in the sky, the way of the snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. And then our text for today, Proverbs chapter five, verse 15 through 16. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets? Having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Now, I'll be straight with you. The last two services have been unusually quiet. So we'll just see how that goes today. Now, understand that these verses, while they are written in a masculine form, and they are directed towards men, one, we should understand that because, again, it is a father speaking to his son, but women, you are not off the hook. God's scripture is for everyone, and this message is equally important and significant for you as well. And all of these verses throughout Proverbs about sex are warning signs. They're telling us, hey, don't head that direction. Should you choose to ignore these signs, you are going to encounter danger. Now, many of us um, have experienced this, and those in our world and culture often say things like, the Bible is an antiquated book. Some even believe that God or Jesus himself is some kind of killjoy, that he doesn't want you to have fun and doesn't want you to have pleasure. And the truth is, it couldn't be further from the truth. Remember, Jesus says, I want you to have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so Jesus, God, is not against pleasure. But here's what those people who say that or think that, here's what they're missing. All of us are living under the rulership of something. Meaning, what controls my heart controls my body. We must not let the pursuit of pleasure be the thing that rules us. Pastor Paul Tripp writes these words about pleasure. Boundless pleasure is a deception. Pleasure can never be an end in itself. I can never just say, I am going to go wherever pleasure leads me because pleasure requires boundaries. And so first and foremost, we need to know that the Bible is not against pleasure. The Bible is not against sex and neither is God. However, the Bible says something that culture and the world never does, and that's this. Every pleasure requires boundaries. So while our primary focus today will be on biblical sexuality, this is what all of us as Jesus followers must remember. Pleasure without boundaries always leads to danger. Remember at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, God created Adam and Eve. I mean, they're naked at this time. There's no shame. Sin has not entered the world. And they're living in the most beautiful and perfect place in which God created, the Garden of, of, the Garden of Eden, right? And they, they have access to everything, pleasure forevermore. Human beings may not have experienced any more or greater pleasure here on earth than in the Garden of Eden. But even in Eden, God had a boundary, 
He had one rule, right? Don't eat, don't partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Think of pleasure this way in, in regards to boundaries. Pleasure in food without proper boundaries leads to gluttony, right? There is boundaries. We can enjoy food, have pleasure in food, but there are proper boundaries that we should have. Alcohol. Pleasure in alcohol without proper boundaries leads to alcoholism. And many of us know and feel, and our world certainly has the, has the effects today of alcoholism because there is no boundaries. Even something is money, pleasure in money. God's not against money, but when we don't have boundaries, good stewardship with it, pleasure in money leads to greed. Even something commanded by God like the Sabbath. God took a Sabbath, a day off, rest, vacation. We should enjoy those things. He commands us to. He wants us to do that. But Sabbath, rest, vacation without proper boundaries leads to sloth and laziness. So pleasure without boundaries always leads to danger. And here's what's really important when we think about boundaries in regards to pleasure and certainly sex. Maybe you're here today and you've followed Jesus for a long time. This is gonna be um, more elementary to you. But maybe you're here today and just in the last few months or year, you decided to place your faith in Jesus Christ and follow him. Maybe you're here today and you're leaning in. You haven't made that decision yet and you're curious about this thing called faith. Here's what we need to know. Following Jesus, placing your faith, loyalty, and allegiance in Jesus is far more than simply raising your hand, saying a prayer, and saying, yes, Jesus, I believe, and I'm going to follow you. Here's what you are also signing up for. You are acknowledging and choosing, you should be anyway if you're a Jesus follower, to use the Bible to look at God's word, which is living and alive, as the blueprint for your life. Each of us have to make a choice on how we are going to view everything in our life and the world. And as Jesus followers, we choose to look at God's word to determine what is right and wrong in our life. So that's what it means when we talk about having a foundation or a blueprint or a word that we use in church is a worldview. That's when we say having a biblical worldview, we mean we believe that the Bible is true and that if we follow God's instructions, our life will turn out better because of it. I like using this. They're gonna put this on the screen. Here is a great way to understand what it means to have a biblical worldview or to trust in God's ways of knowing what is right or wrong. First of all, we must know right. How do us as Jesus followers know what is right? It's not a trick question. How do we know? Okay, we know based upon the Bible. It starts there. When we know and believe that this is right, all of a sudden our thinking will be right, which leads to us doing the right actions, which God says will lead to us flourishing and feeling right. So if we want to feel right, we will trust in God's word, we will think correctly, we will do correctly, and in that God says we will have abundant life. Now, there are a couple names for Satan in the Bible other than enemy and Satan. One is liar and the other is deceiver. It's in his very nature. So when it comes to right thinking and truth, Satan is always lying to us. He is always deceiving us. He is always perverting God's truth and reversing it. Let me give you an example of that. Go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve are in the garden. 
God set boundaries. Do not partake of this tree, this particular fruit. Satan comes along, and what does he say? He tells them the opposite. Oh, God just wants you to have that. That's okay. Looking at this chart, think about what Satan does today and in our worldly context and in our culture. We live in a day and age in a society that says, do what feels right to you. You can trust your feelings. No one can tell you what to do. Do what you feel, feel right, do it, think it, and nobody can tell you what is right or wrong. Do you see how the enemy twists and perverts it? So for us, it's really important as we talk about boundaries and pleasure and sex to understand what a biblical worldview and where we are um, understanding where our boundaries come from. I read this earlier in regards to um, sex and, and proper boundaries. Satan will do everything he can to get you to have sex before marriage, as much sex as you possibly can before marriage. And after marriage, he'll do everything in his power to make sure you have as little of it as possible. Now you're laughing because those of you who are married, you know that's true. But think of it, it is Satan's way of perverting what God ordained. God's God's way, his boundaries, Satan is trying to twist and pervert it. So my hope today is that each of us become fully aware of how sexually broken we are so that we can receive forgiveness and healing through Jesus. However, to receive that healing, to receive forgiveness from Jesus, you and I first have to recognize that we have a problem. And even when I said we all are sexually broken, some of you thought, I'm not, I'm not sexually broken. But here's the problem. All of us are. Every one of us are sexually broken. We all sin sexually, and every one of us has been guilty at one point or another. Let me show you what I mean. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he talks about what it means to be righteous and even right sexually. And this is where we get off track. Many Christians get uber-legalistic about righteousness, categorizing some sins, especially sexual sins, as greater than others. We categorize sexual sins and we like to say that, whoa, same-sex attraction, that is a greater and weighted heavier sin than maybe pornography or adultery or having, having some other sexual sin. Jesus destroys this kind of thinking. Remember in Matthew 5, 27, Jesus speaks to the religious leaders of the day and he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery within his heart. Now, a couple things, what Jesus is not saying and what he is saying. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to find someone attractive. That's human nature. Jesus simply said, anyone who looks at a woman with lust, a word which means mishandled or misdirected sexual desire, fantasy or intent, even if you've never committed a sin like adultery. Now, for many of us, Jesus' reference, he's, he is pointing out a man, but women, you are not off the hook on that. I understand that most men, we are visual people. Not all women are. Most women are emotional. But women, you can lust in your heart as well. Sometimes the romance novels that you read, sometimes the romance movies that you see, your heart is moved emotionally and you are committing adultery in your heart, maybe not with your eyes, but with your mind and your heart. That is what Jesus is talking about. All of us are guilty and can be guilty of being sexually broken. 
Imagine how the most religious, <laughs> the most faithful people of Jesus' day would have felt when Jesus calls them out on the carpet and says, you see that person who committed adultery? You are equally as guilty as they are because I know your heart. I know your thoughts. I know what sins you have had in your mind this week. Imagine Jesus standing right here before us, preaching this sermon to us and saying, okay, I know your hearts. I know the sexual thoughts that have happened in this room today. How many of you have watched things that you shouldn't have watched? How many of you have inappropriately texted or the little flirting hint or had a conversation at work with someone that you knew crossed that line? And Jesus would have said, you are every bit as guilty as the person that has committed a sexual act outside of these walls. Guess what? That's what Jesus is saying to us. He is looking at our heart and he is saying, you can't categorize this. Now here is what Jesus is also not saying. He's not saying that if you have committed adultery in your heart, you might as well go ahead and go out and do it physically because it's just as bad as the other. Jesus is not saying that. Certainly, physical adultery and other sexual sins have greater consequences than thinking something in your heart. We certainly understand there is a disparity in consequences. You can ask someone who has been betrayed or affected by that to simply know. But Jesus's point is this. If you and I think that we are sexually perfect and we don't need forgiveness and healing simply because we have avoided committing physical adultery or some other sexual sin, we need to think again. Because sexual brokenness runs much deeper inside of us. We all are sexually broken people. So where do we go from here? Let me give you five biblical truths as sexually broken people. I can't take credit for all of this. There is a, um, a biblical scholar, and he is the co-founder and president of an organization called the Center of Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. I'm gonna reference that in a minute. His name is Preston Sprinkle. But today, let me give us as Jesus followers, as sexually broken people, um, what should our response be or what should our understanding to be, be? Five biblical truths as sexually broken people. Here's the first one. Sex is good. God created sex and thereby it is good. From the very beginning, sex was created by God and he intended that those created in his image would have it and have lots of it. If you're visiting with us today, you hopefully you come back next week. <laughs> Genesis chapter one, let's go back to the beginning. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. I don't have to do the math for you or explain it, but he's basically telling Adam and Eve, have sex and have lots of kids and fill the earth. You could go as far to say that God's first commandment to humanity was to have sex. So God created sex and it is good. Don't ever think that the Bible is anti-sex. It is a gift that he gave to us within the parameters of marriage, and it is good. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Here's the second biblical truth. You don't need to have sex to flourish as a human being. I didn't think there would be any amens on that. <laughs> because very few people will actually believe this, but it is true. Let me prove it to you. 
Think about this when it comes to the person and humanity of Jesus when he was here on earth. Sam Albury writes, Jesus is the most completely and fully human person who ever lived. So his not being married is not incidental. It shows us that none of these things, marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experiments, is intrinsic to being fully human. The moment we say otherwise is the moment that we claim a life of celibacy is dehumanizing. And in that moment, we are implying that Jesus himself was subhuman. Think of this, the most complete and fully human being who ever lived never had sex. Sex and marriage are good. God created both, but they are not the ultimate experience. And contrary to what culture says, you do not have to have sex to flourish as a human being. And Jesus Christ is proof of that. I want to give a word for those who are single here today. We live in a culture where it's normal, it's normal for single adults to be sexually active. Our culture, in our culture today, it is abnormal for single adults to wait until marriage, until they have sex. And while all of us struggle to be sexually righteous, there is a unique struggle for those who are single. And the unfortunate illusion of our day is that if you're married, that's normal. If you're single, that's abnormal. And let me just say, that should not be the case in the family of God. It should not be the case in the body of Christ. Our church family should be a place where those who are single are cherished, are loved, are valued, are respected, and have equal place in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. So if you are here today and you are single, know that in this place, we love you, we value you, we cherish in you, and you are not second tier. You are called and be a part of our church family. Here's the third biblical truth. God's boundaries as found in the Bible are for our own good. Remember, pleasure without boundaries always leads to danger, and this is equally true for sex. And while our culture has and continues to push this sexual liberation, that liberation has damaged us tremendously. So what are the boundaries? God has established according to the Bible regarding sex. Well, you can imagine that in one sermon, a 30-minute sermon at that, it is next to impossible to include all of that. However, I want to begin by looking again at Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So when it comes to the biblical boundaries the parameters that God has established for sex, it is this. God created sex to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. He created marriage as a faithful covenant relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Understand, and let me be clear, any sex or sexual act outside of those parameters is sin. 
regardless of what the world says, regardless of what social media says, regardless of what the government says, regardless of what anybody else says, no matter how traditional, old, or antiquated it sounds. Pleasure without boundaries always leads to danger, and God is giving us these rails to live life on, knowing that if we stay within them, we will flourish. Let me say a word to you who are parents. We must teach our kids about biblical sexuality. I mentioned Preston Sprinkle in the Center for Christian Sexuality and Gender. Earlier this year, um, we began a class uh, with parents, helping them walk in this. Uh, one of the requests that I have gotten more often from parents and families over the last two years has been, Pastor Allen, we need help. We need tools. We need understanding, better things to help our kids because they're being bombarded with all of these top topics about sex. Uh, I always say this at child dedications when we do it, and I'm going to reemphasize it now. It is not my job, nor ACAC's job, or any other church's job to teach your kids about sex. Whose job is it? It's yours. It's the parent's job. However, we do want to walk with you and provide tools. One of the things that shocked us we have this class that we're going through and parents are learning and having great conversation, different perspectives and different experiences. But one of the things that really shocked us is how many parents are not engaging in conversation with their kids. Parents, let me tell you, your kids are being taught and learning and having conversations about sex. TikTok is teaching them, Instagram is teaching them, the schools are teaching them, the friends are teaching them, the movies are teaching them, music is teaching them. You have a choice. Are you gonna allow those things to teach them about what God says about sex because that's not happening or you can engage and tell them what God says in the proper boundaries about sex Deuteronomy 529 God said to the people of Israel that they would always have hearts like this that they might fear me and obey my commands if they did if they obey including the parameters of sex God said their descendants would prosper forever you want your children and your children's children and your children's children's children to prosper? God says, teach them and obey. And that includes biblical sexuality. Here's number four. If, you, if you've been and if you are a victim of sexual abuse, it is not your fault. Please. If you're a victim, look at me today. It is not your fault. God despises what has happened to you. And there is healing and forgiveness for you. If you hear nothing else, listen to these words of Katie McCoy. In the very beginning, God intended for women to be protected and valued. Whether she is a college sophomore in an Ivy League university, a 14-year-old Nigerian abducted by traffickers, or a 65-year-old woman finding the courage to finally break her silence. An assault against Eve is an assault against Eden. And one day, every wrong committed against her daughters will be righted by a justice-keeping God. It's important that I note today that not all victims of sexual abuse are women. Men can be victims and are victims as well. 
And hear me in this. Please hear me. If you have been or you are, I implore you, you must tell somebody. Tell somebody privately. And for all too long, we all know that the church of Jesus Christ globally has often not been a safe place to do that. And as your pastor and speaking on behalf of elders and congregation here, I commit to you and we commit that ACAC will be a safe place for you to share, for you to speak, that this would be a place where children are protected. After the service at 8.30 this morning when I preached this message, I was in the hallway greeting people. And a couple who has been a part of ACAC for years, I had never heard this, with tears in his eyes, he told me that he was sexually abused, not at this church, but a church growing up. And he said, please tell people there is healing and forgiveness from Jesus. His words, it is a get out of jail free card. And if you're a victim today, please talk to a counselor, talk to a pastor, talk to a friend in private, go through soul care, but allow God to bring healing and forgiveness. Here's the last one and the most significant. God delights and desires to forgive and heal all, every, without exception, every sexual sin. I want to close by reading and reminding us of a familiar story of Jesus. One when he encountered someone who had committed and was walking in sexual sin. John chapter eight. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Crowd soon gathered. And he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman who had committed, was caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stopped, he stooped down, and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. A couple observations as we wrap this up. I find it really interesting that the most religious and faithful people of the day chose to bring a guilty woman caught in the act. They chose to do it publicly. They chose, instead of going to Jesus privately, and protecting her from shame and embarrassment, they did the exact opposite. They chose to bring her in front of the crowd, heaping shame and embarrassment upon her because of her sin. I also find it really interesting that the man who was also guilty was nowhere to be found. And how too often there has been an inequity of targeting the sins of women and letting the sins of men go. 
What was Jesus' response? All of us are sexually broken. And that's what he called out in the heart of the religious leaders. He knew their hearts and he knew their thoughts. He was leveling the playing field of sin. And in that moment, when they went away one by one, what does Jesus lead with? He looks at the woman, says, I am not here to condemn you. Give me your shame. Give me your embarrassment. I want to protect you. I want you to leave whole, knowing that I love you, that you are a daughter of God. So go and do not sin anymore. How often the church has reversed that order. How often do we reverse that order where we are quick to publicly shame, to publicly embarrass, to publicly call out the sexual sins of others and ignoring the own sexual sin in our own hearts instead of being generous, as I said early, generous with grace, generous with forgiveness. Do we stand for biblical standards in a blueprint? Absolutely. But we offer healing and hope and forgiveness in a safe and secure place that Jesus offers. And then we say, go. Don't sin anymore. It's how Jesus calls us to be. And if one of our DNA markers is we strive to be like Jesus, well, then we better follow him. And that example when it comes to addressing sexual sin. Would you stand with your feet? Stand to your feet this morning. Ray Ortland, writing about this encounter Jesus had with the adulterous woman, wrote, by these wonderful words, Jesus creates for this woman and for everyone who will join her a new unaccused place for guilty sinners caught in the act. They shamed you, but I am covering you. They accused you, I am forgiving you. They stigmatized you, but I am dignifying you. They excluded you. Jesus says, I welcome you. At this moment, I'm going to invite our prayer team who is made up of men and women, our elders, any elders that are here, I'm gonna invite you to come forward. We're gonna have a time of prayer. Staff pastors, we have men and women up front. And I'm not gonna invite you to come right now. I'm gonna officially dismiss, but I want us to turn this place into a place of prayer, an altar of prayer. And here's what I wanna say. In a room with this many people, this size, here is, the, here is the reality. The truth is there are some in this room right now that are walking and living in sexual brokenness. There are couples, the reality is there are couples in this room who are being unfaithful to their spouse. And you think no one knows it. God sees it. And it may not even be a physical act. It may be inappropriate texting. It may be conversation on social media and your DMs that are, you think are private. God sees it. Truth is, there is addiction to pornography in this room. Again, men and women. There are some that are honestly and sincerely wrestling with same-sex attraction. And you feel shamed and you feel guilty. 
and there is freedom and forgiveness for Jesus today. He does not condemn you. He does not shame you. There are some that are single in this room and you have felt like a second-class citizen because you just haven't embraced your singleness. And God says it's okay. You're not a second-class citizen. And there are some that have never told anybody about the abuse that happened when you were a child or a teenager or a young adult. There are some here today that you are in an abusive situation right now and God wants to give you that get-out-of-jail-free card. He wants to walk with you. So as I pray, I'm gonna officially dismiss. Here's what I'm gonna ask. I want you to say hi to people, get your kids, get a cup of coffee, but I'm gonna ask that you do it outside of this room. I want us to turn this sanctuary into a place of prayer where people can come privately and meet with men and women here who want to listen and pray. You, don't, you can share to the extent that you want, but receive healing today and hear the words of Jesus when he says, where are you, accusers? I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus, we call on your name. We receive and need your healing today. We receive your forgiveness today from bad thoughts to bad actions. God, I pray for marriages in this room right now. Lord, for those who are on the verge of divorce, bring healing. Do what only you can do. God, those who are like the woman in adultery, they're walking in sexual sin like the man who was there and nowhere to be found. Lord, would you convict today? Would you provide an opportunity for them to speak with someone to receive your healing and hope? For those that have experienced abuse today, God, would they find healing before they leave? And would we be a place that protects a safe place where your presence is found? In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Come and pray today. For the rest of you, God bless you. You're dismissed.